This week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we continue our adventures in Acts with repentance that leads to life. First called Christians, martyrdom of James, Peter rescued, and when you pray but don't expect an answer. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand. Listen at thewordendures.org or your favorite podcast provider. Why were there so many heresies in the early church surrounding the person of Christ, in particular surrounding how his divine nature and his human nature interacted with one another? There are a lot of them, some of them worse than others, some of them more dangerous, some of them closer to the truth and some of them farther away. Two of them, Nestorianism and Eutychianism, also came up again in the 16th century Reformation. When the Lutherans and the Reformed were discussing the Lord's Supper, well, the Lutherans said that the Reformed sound an awful lot like Nestorian heretics, and the Reformed said that the Lutherans sounded an awful lot like Eutychian heretics. What do those terms mean? We'll find out here in the next half hour as we talk with Dr. David Maxwell, professor and chairman of the Department of Systematic Theology at Concordia Seminary in St. Louis. We're going to discuss those 5th century heresies of Nestorianism and Eutychianism. Dr. Maxwell is translator of Cyril of Alexandria's commentaries on John Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians and Hebrews, and he's author of a column for the Lutheran Witness magazine titled Nestorianism and Eutychianism, Heresies About Jesus. Dr. Maxwell, welcome back. Thanks, Todd. It's good to be back. When it comes to errors in Christian teaching, how do we distinguish between an error like Arianism and an error like Nestorianism, one of those we're going to be talking about today? Well, I think generally Arianism is a more basic Christological heresy that was addressed in the 4th century. And what you get with Nestorianism and Eutychianism is this is an argument within the pro-Nicene camp. So the Nicene Creed decided the issue in favor of the divinity of Christ over against the Arian view that says Christ is not fully divine. So that's one issue. Then if you imagine the Nicene camp where all sides agree that Christ is fully divine, now within that camp, there's another argument that arises. Well, how do the two natures relate to each other? And that's what the whole argument between uh, Nestorius, Eutyches, and the Council of Chalcedon is about. The thing that's important to remember there is that they're all part of the pro-Nicene camp, and they all support the Nicene Creed. Why were there so many Christological heresies in the early church? Well, I think it's because there are certain tensions built into theology itself that they hadn't really thought through. So, for example, if you're raised Jewish, then obviously you believe that there's one God. Well, then all of a sudden, now you're, let's say you're a Christian, maybe you're one of the apostles, for example, And one thing that's very clear from the very beginning of Christianity is that Christians worship Jesus. Okay, but at some point you've got to figure, how do these two facts go together? How can there be one God and we still worship Jesus? Is that okay? And so you have various attempts to explain 
whether it's okay or why it's okay. So one possibility would be Jesus is a lesser God than God the Father. Well, that's the Arian view, and that's rejected. Well, then you have the Nicene view, which is he's fully God, and then you get the doctrine of the Trinity as the explanation of why it's okay to worship Jesus. So I think it's not just a question of people being malicious or stupid or something like that. I think there are some real tensions built in to the faith that it just took them a while to hash out the best way to speak about it. What are some of those early Christological heresies? I would say the big one is Arianism. But before that, actually, you had some other ones like modalism would be one where the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, there's no real distinction at all between them. They're just three different modes of the same God, three different ways of God appearing, so that Jesus is then adopted as the Son of God at his baptism. He wasn't the Son of God before. That's a heresy called adoptionism, which is related to modalism. So those would be some of your earlier ones. And then you have the Arian heresy, which denies the divinity of Christ. And then after that, you get the Nestorian heresy, which divides Christ into two. How did some of those heresies, in particular Eutychianism, or at least the accusation of Eutychianism, and Nestorianism resurface at the time of the Reformation? Well, yes. This is one of the interesting features of the 16th century is that they very often, all sides actually, would label their opponents with the names of ancient heretics like Nestorius and Eutyches. And so the way this happens, primarily it it has to do with the Lord's Supper in the case of Nestorius and Eutyches. So the Lutheran view is that the body and blood of Christ are truly present in the Lord's Supper. And one of Zwingli's objections to this, and this comes up in uh, Article 8 of the Formula of Concord, Zwingli objected that, well, you can't have Jesus' human nature being in heaven and on earth at the same time. And more than that, when he's on earth, he's on multiple altars at the same time. A human nature can't handle that. And so if you believe that his human nature is in more than one place at one time, then you don't think he's human anymore. You think that the divine nature has swallowed him up so that he's not really human. And that's why Lutherans get charged with the label of Eutychian, because Eutyches was a 5th century character who, well, we don't actually know that much about him, but he seems to have taught that the human nature of Christ is swallowed up by the divine nature. And that's why Lutherans get labeled as Eutychians. And then in return, we label the Reformed as Nestorians because our view is that there is such a union between the two natures that there's communication of attributes between them. The Reformed are a little bit more reserved about talking about communication of attributes than Lutherans are. So why is the Lord's Supper a test of one's Christology? Work that out for us. Well, because it has to do with Jesus' human nature and how it relates to his divine nature. Does his human nature have divine powers? I mean, that's the question. The Lutheran view would be, well, I mean, you have Bible passages that say things like 1 John, the blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin, or the body of Christ is life-giving in John 6. 
And so there are these Bible passages that do seem to ascribe divine power to his human nature. And so that's kind of how the, the Lutheran view goes. I think what's going on with the other side, and I, I don't know as much about the Reformed view as I do about the Lutheran, but I can tell you, going back to the early church and like what's, what's driving Nestorius, I think Nestorius is fundamentally trying to protect the divinity of Christ. So this is why I said at the beginning that you have to realize that the Nestorian controversy is a controversy that takes place within Nicene Orthodoxy because Nestorius was a big supporter of the Nicene Creed. He was a big supporter of the divinity of Christ. And so he did not want to say that God died on the cross, for example, that God the Son died on the cross. He wanted to say, well, the human Jesus died on the cross, but the second person of the Trinity certainly didn't die on the cross, because if you say that, then it sounds like you're an Arian who is denying the divinity of Christ. And so that's what Nestorius is up to, is he's trying to protect the divinity of Christ. And he sees it threatened when you have both divine and human attributes being ascribed to the same person. And Lutherans are following more Cyril of Alexandria, who is uh, Nestorius's main opponent, in wanting to emphasize the unity of Christ and wanting to say that, well, the second person, the Trinity, is Christ, and there's no other human subject in there that could be the subject of Jesus' actions in the Gospels. It's just the second person, the Trinity, who is a human, of course, because he became man. He's incarnate. But it's not like there's two of him somehow. And so that's kind of the Cyrillian and Lutheran emphasis in Christology. What exactly was the error of Nestorius? Well, the way I would put it is that he said that there were, in effect, two acting subjects in Christ, a human one and a divine one. Now, if you ask Nestorius, do you believe there are two sons? He'd say, well, of course not. There's only one son. So it's not like he's saying, I believe there's two persons in Christ. But if you look at what the way that he interprets the biblical text, it's very clear that he wants to see a human acting subject within Christ so that the human subject can take care of all of the humiliating experiences and that the divine subject can remain untouched. You see this in the slogan of the Nestorian controversy. The formula that they were fighting over was whether or not Mary is Theotokos, which means mother of God, God-bearer, literally, but more idiomatically, you could translate Theotokos as mother of God. And Nestorius's view is, well, she's not the mother of God. She's only the mother of the man, Jesus, the human part of him, so to speak. She's not the mother of the Logos, the second person of the Trinity. And Cyril of Alexandria's response to this was, of course, she's the mother of God because Christ is God. I mean, there's not another subject in there other than the second person of the Trinity. So if she gave birth to Jesus, who is Emmanuel, God with us, then you have to say she gave birth to God. What's the danger there in Nestorianism? Well, I think that there's two big ones. One is, what does it do to the cross? And the second one is, what does it do to the Lord's Supper? What does it do to the cross? Well, if you say only the human part of Jesus, so to speak, died, 
Well, where does that leave the human race? Is the death of a human going to be sufficient to atone for the sins of the human race? Luther would say, no, it's not that it's the death of God that atones for the sins of the human race. So that's one problem. The other problem is you don't have the life-giving flesh of Christ in the Lord's Supper and the blood of Jesus that purifies us from all sins because you, what you have is the body and blood of a man, but not the body and blood of God. And so you, you end up diminishing the significance of the Lord's Supper. Interestingly, Nestorius did believe in the real presence. It's just that he wouldn't want to say it's the body and blood of God the way Cyril would. We're talking with Dr. David Maxwell of Concordia Seminary about Nestorianism and Eutychianism. When we come back, what are the particular errors of Eutychianism? The fundamental question that these parables ask is this, is it possible for someone who has fallen away from the faith, a baptized child, to be brought to repentance? And the answer is yes, a thousand times yes. It has to be yes. Or I'm damned. And so are you. Pastor Peter Bender speaking at the 2023 Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference. But if we as earthly parents love our children in spite of the fact that they rebel and maybe wander from home, how much more does the Father's love for us in Christ Jesus never cease? That is the birthright that you and I have been given in our baptism. That is our consolation. You can watch and listen to Pastor Peter Bender's teaching, Making the Case for a Dying Man's Consolation, and all of the presentations from this year's conference for a contribution of $300. It's available via on-demand video stream or podcast. Learn more at issuesetc.org. Old theology, new technology. You're listening to Issues Etc. It's commonly said that heresies are 90% truth and only 10% wrong, but it's the 10% that subverts all of Christian doctrine and all of Christian teaching by the essential errors that they promote. Well, if you're wondering about heresies, both ancient and modern, you should pick up a copy of the August issue of The Lutheran Witness, where we talk about these heresies, their ancient roots, and how to mark and avoid them. Visit cph.org witness to subscribe or learn more at our website, witness.lsms.org. Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. I'm Chaplain Sean Denzer, Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Congregations work hard to keep the Word of Christ dwelling richly in His disciples now and into eternal life. We work to help and support that effort. Learn more at lcms.org worship. You'll find resources on the church here, Bible studies on the hymns of the day, audio helps for learning to sing our services, and look for worship planning resources to find the latest from LCMS worship. That's lcms.org worship. May the word of Christ dwell richly in you. As it was for Jesus, so it is also for us. We get more from giving than we do from simply getting. For giving softens our hearts and frees us from the grip which the worries of this world and making a living has on us. 
Those are words from LCMS Stewardship's August newsletter. You can read it and other great stewardship resources at lcms.org stewardship. The Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Stewardship Ministry helps congregations grow in their understanding and implementation of a life of stewardship. lcms.org stewardship. We're talking about Nestorianism and Eutychianism with Dr. David Maxwell. Dr. Maxwell, what are the particular errors of Eutychianism? Well, if his opponents are to be believed, and this is always a tricky matter because we don't really have a lot of his own writings, but he seems to have thought that Christ's human nature was absorbed into the divine nature so that you don't really have human and divine anymore. You just have one divine nature. What is the danger there? Well, this goes back to there's a slogan by Gregor of Nazianzus, a, a fourth century church father, who had a slogan, what is not assumed is not healed. And the issue is if he's not truly human, then he didn't really save us because they understood salvation to be the union of God and man in Christ that brings about the union between God and humanity in general. And so if he doesn't really have a human nature, then that union doesn't take place. So are Lutherans, Eutychians, as some non-Lutheran Reformed charged? Well, the Lutheran answer to that charge is to say that we don't say that the human nature of Christ is swallowed up. When we talk about divine attributes being communicated to it, we distinguish between the communicated attributes versus the essential attributes. And so that's how we kind of avoid the charge of Eutychianism. That's kind of technical, but but I let me make the point a slightly different way, and this is something that uh, Martin Chemnitz emphasizes, is that the Lutheran doctrine of the real presence is not actually based on our Christology. It is based on the words of institution. And so that's the kind of guiding star, is what does Jesus say is going on in the Lord's Supper? And so... If he says, this is my body and this is my blood, well, then it is, and we'll let him worry about how much his body and blood can handle while still remaining human and not being swallowed up by the divine nature. That's his problem, not ours. But it's fundamentally the words of institution that are the foundation of our doctrine of real presence. Now, the Christological issues come in when, like Zwingli starts objecting on the basis of Christology, well, then we answer on the basis of Christology. But we always keep in mind that the actual teaching is founded on the words of institution. So we're not deriving our teaching about the Lord's Supper from some sort of Christological formulas. We are simply starting with the institution. Well, yeah, I think it's the other way around, actually. We start with the words of institution, and then we have a Christology that supports what Christ says he's going to do in the Lord's Supper is blood forgiving sins and his body giving life. Are those who hold the Reformed view of the Lord's Supper, are they modern-day Nestorians? Well, they would say no. From a Lutheran perspective, they kind of look Nestorian. I guess you just have to ask them and get into the weeds. I'm sure they have a way of, of distinguishing themselves from Nestorius, the same way we have a way of distinguishing ourselves from the Eutychians. So it's probably not fair to literally say they're Nestorians, but let's put it this way. They're closer to Nestorians than Lutherans are. If there's a spectrum, you might say that they're a little bit closer to that end of the spectrum. 
How do you respond to someone who says that Jesus' human nature cannot be present in the Lord's Supper? Well, I guess my question would be, why not? I mean, because he said it is. So it seems to me that you would start with the assumption that it can be because that's what he says. So that's going back to Chemnitz pointing out that we're uh, basing our understanding on the words of institution. Now, if you want a more technical Christological answer to that, well, the Lutherans do have a category called the genus myostaticum, which basically says that the divine attributes are communicated to his human nature. And what we have in view here is particularly his body and blood in the Lord's Supper. So we do affirm that the body and blood have divine attributes communicated to them. And, and why is that? Well, that's because of the, the union of the two natures in Christ, that they're actually united. They're not just sitting next to each other, but they're united to such an extent that divine attributes can be communicated to the human nature. Finally, what was and is at stake at, in having a biblical Christology and a biblical view of the Lord's Supper? Well, ultimately, it's the gospel at stake because that's the purpose of the Lord's Supper. Is this is God's promise. This is him making his new covenant with us, that, that he's promising, I'll be your God and you'll be my people. And he's giving us his body and blood to eat and drink as initiating that new covenant. So... Yeah, the gospel is what's at stake. Dr. David Maxwell is professor and chairman of the Department of Systematic Theology at Concordia Seminary in St. Louis. He's translator of Cyril of Alexandria's commentaries on John Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians and Hebrews, and author of a column for the Lutheran Witness magazine titled Nestorianism and Eutychianism, Heresies About Jesus. Dr. Maxwell, thank you. Uh, thanks. Great to be with you. Thursday on Issues Etc., we'll continue our series, Kids Have Questions, with Pastor Jonathan Connor. We'll discuss Pelagianism and double predestination with Dr. John Bruss. And we'll talk with Lyman Stone about religion and Canadian fertility rates. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for listening. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc., is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio. Do you want a church with a rockin' band and a sermon series to help you live a better life? It's not here. Bethany Evangelical Lutheran Church in Fairview Heights offers authentic, historic Christianity to a world awash in fads and entertainment and offers forgiveness of sins to people overwhelmed with guilt and shame. Join us Sundays at 9.30 on Old Collinsville Road in Fairview Heights, Illinois, to receive the life-giving gifts of God with us. Find out more online at BethanyLCMS.org. Bahama Mama, Ocean Pacific, Paradise Island. 
Retreat from the heat with the shaved ice snow cone from Tropical Snow in Caseyville, Illinois. It's right across the street from Collinsville High School. Tropical Snow is open daily from 1 to 9. Premium snow, epic flavors, lots of love. Tropical Snow, across the street from Collinsville High School at 2134 South Morrison Avenue in Caseyville.